All right, as you grab a seat, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and my name is Steve Mayo. I serve as the Director of Discipleship for Youth Discipleship at uh, Calvary Chapel um, with CCA and uh, their school and also the church and youth. And so I've worked with Josiah for a really long time. And so every time I come here, I always tell him it is exciting for me because I remember when this was something that was a prayer request. When the Exchange Church was something that was being prayed for, um, not yet in existence, and look at God's faithfulness for you all being here um, and serving and worshiping. So it's amazing. And when Josiah describes you, so he's not here, right? So I get to tell you guys how Josiah describes you before we get into it. Um, Josiah describes you guys as those who are passionate about Jesus and lovers of the word. And I don't think there's any better description of a body of believers, of a body of those who follow Christ than that. So I just want to say um, that's awesome for me to hear. And uh, as we dive into the scriptures this morning, know we're going to do just that. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. That's where we'll be. Mark chapter 15. If you were here last week, you were in Mark chapter 14. Listen to Josiah's sermon. Just a great sermon. Talked about the faithfulness of Jesus and even within the unfaithfulness of Peter, uh, we see God's faithfulness to him anyway. If you need a Bible, put your hand in the air. There are some people coming around to give you one. Uh, but just a great sermon in Mark chapter 14 about Jesus' response and his faithfulness, even in our unfaithfulness. And we're going to continue this morning in that drama because it is a drama that if you were not here, you have stepped into these last hours before Jesus Christ death, these last hours before um, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and uh, that's where we're going to dive in. So we see a lot of characters in this as well. Uh, we see Annas, we see Caiaphas, we see um, people who have been trying to do what they're about to do for a long time now when it comes to Jesus' Sanhedrin, and we're going to see another character today, and that's Pilate. So on Mark chapter 15, verse 1, we're going to be there in a second, but as this drama unfolds, one of the things I want you to see is what is God really doing, or in the sense that I would ask you this, who is really on trial? Who is really on trial? Because if you look at the passage, if you look at the text, most people say, well, that's easy, is Jesus on trial? But as we look at this passage today, I really want you to think about that question. And so before we go back into it, let's just go to the Lord one more time, ask him to bless the reading of his word, and then we'll dive in. Um, Lord, we're thankful this morning for everyone who's here. Um, Lord, we're thankful sometimes we forget that um, it's a blessing just to have life. It's a blessing just to make it from one destination to the other where we decide to go. And we just think that should naturally happen. But, Lord, it's a blessing to be here. And so, Lord, bless your word. And as we look over what you went through, God, help us to have, Lord, an appreciation for that and a love for you that grows deeper. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So Luke chapter 15, I asked you a question. The question I have for you this morning, who is really on trial? And before we dive into this, I'll say, I don't know if you're like a court TV fan. But this is, if you watch a lot of like TV, court TV drama, but this is like something you've never seen before, okay? I love court scenes. I don't know if you like court movies. I don't know if anyone has ever seen A Few Good Men. Um, that's a classic, you know, think of uh, Jack Nicholson saying, you can't handle the truth. Uh, it's interesting because as you look at this passage in, in some of the gospel accounts, it's funny, Pilate asked, what is truth? It's like, man, if Jack Nicholson was there, he would have told him, you can't handle it. Um, you know, A Time to Kill. 
is one of my favorite movies um, because of the dramatic court scene at the end. And just I'm just a uh, our family is just a law and order um, junkie. So constantly watching law and order. I don't know if anyone else is like I'm addicted. It's a habit. Pray for me. Um, really, really love law and order. But this is a court scene like we've never seen before. And if you've seen this, um, even in chapter 14, a lot of it takes place at night which it shouldn't have. And I'm sure Josiah talked about that a little bit. We'll get into that today. But I was thinking about that. So much of it takes place tonight. I'm almost like, you know, should we call this night court? Um, you think you might have to be like 35 to get in over to get that joke. Uh, young people are like, what is night court? But, you know, when you look at this and look at what's happening, we're going to dive in. I asked you who's really on trial, but you're seeing a scene unfolding in a trial like you've never seen before. So look at Mark chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1. From there, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. I just want to say they've made up their mind already. Okay, their mind is made up. Verse two, are you king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. Another way to say that would be it is as you say. And I think Pilate's probably going to ask him this maybe 10, maybe a dozen times in this whole unfolding scene as we go through. Verse 3, the chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprisings. I'm going to stop here for a second because many of us have heard this. We're familiar with Barabbas, and I want to talk about his name just real quick as we read through this first part. So Barabbas, if you break this down, um, Barabbas, Simon Bar-Jonah, if you look up his name. So Simon, son of John, Bar, meaning, you know, of, and, you know, Barabbas, that last part, Abbas, of the father. In some Syrian texts, he's actually known as Jesus Barabbas. So as you read this, you think about this, they're going to be asking the people this question, and Pilate's going to be asking this question. It's kind of weird. It's almost like, hey, do you want Jesus, the son of the father, or do you want Jesus, the son of the father. You know, you have Jesus Barabbas and Jesus, but Jesus, son of the father is easily the translation for both of them. So you want the counterfeit Jesus, the son of the father, or you want the genuine Jesus, the son of the father. There's going to have to be a decision made. Verse eight, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Note that. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Verse 12, what shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowds, some versions read, wanting to content the crowds, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, or scourged, and handed him over to be crucified. We're going to go through verse 20, but we're going to stop right there. You know, I want you to go back to verse 12 for a second, because I think it's one of the key questions that we have to ask ourselves today. 
What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Or to put it more plainly, what are we going to do with Jesus? See, we all have to ask ourselves that question at some point in time. I think before you go out of here today, one of the things that we have to answer for ourselves, and maybe you've answered this, maybe you haven't, but it's the idea of what am I going to do with Jesus? So you're going to leave here today, you're going to go out, you're going to get in your car, you're going to go do what you normally do. Maybe some people will be outside, maybe some people will be watching football. If you're rooting for the Dolphins, you might want to pray a lot before you leave here. Um, and you're going to go out to what you normally do, but you can't escape the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because people in this passage we're seeing are faced with this question. Pilate is faced with this question. What am I going to do with Jesus? And it says, willing to content the crowds, satisfy the crowds, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over. So, when he comes to Pilate, this is like the second phase of the trials, just so you know. You guys went through 14. You talked about Jesus, um, talked about Peter, his denial, and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just having that, you know, real consternation over what is it that I'm going to do. And, and Jesus settles it. After he asks the Father, he settles it. In his mind, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus goes out, he's ready. Jesus has settled this. But for them, a lot of illegal things have happened at night. So if you look in chapter 14, everything that's happening shouldn't have happened during that time. You know, they've made up their mind. They've given testimonies and accusations. It's interesting because if you read uh, Mark 14, a lot of it didn't even, you know, it wasn't concerted. It didn't make sense. It didn't go together. And so they couldn't even get them on that. Um, and they had to just go to like, well, what are we going to get Jesus on? Well, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. We'll just say it's blasphemy. That wasn't going to hold up in a Roman court, though. And they say, you know, we don't we can't, you know, get everyone together on what they say about Jesus. So we'll just say it's blasphemy. It's like they're annoyed. Um, I remember when my mom used to yell at me when I was like getting in trouble. She used to yell at us. And I remember there was times when she was just annoyed and she didn't really have anything that we actually did. But she was just annoyed. And so she would be sending us to our room. And I'd be like, Mom, why am I going to my room? And she was like, you know what? You're just getting on my nerves. So go to your room. You know, it's like that. It's like, I don't have anything real or super valid against him. These charges don't make sense with the testimony. And so we'll just say he's guilty of blasphemy and it's away. But this that's happening is happening at night. And so it's not supposed to be happening that way. It's supposed to be happening during the day. And the thing I'll say is they couldn't kill Jesus. So even though Annas, even though Caiaphas, even though the Sanhedrin, which is about 70 members, want to kill Jesus, they can't because they don't have that power. They're under Roman authority. They're under Roman law. They don't have the power to do it. The power of the sword, actually, if you look in the text, says the power of the sword rests with the Romans. And so they need something to validate what's been happening at night. This is between 1 to 2 a.m., 3 a.m. into 4 a.m., almost into 5 a.m. So we're almost in early morning now. This drama is unfolding, and they say, well, there's no way we can kill Jesus because we can't do it, but we need Rome to kind of validate what we've already come to the conclusion of. We've already settled. They couldn't do it. Um, it's interesting because if you look in Acts chapter 7, you look at Stephen, and you say, well, wait a minute. Some people say, well, wait a minute. In Acts chapter 7, they stoned Stephen. So how is that possible? And there was multiple times where they tried to kill Paul, but those were mob acts. This is a legal thing. And so they have to have the blessing of Roman law. And so that's what we're looking at is 
how are they going to get that? A couple interesting things to note. You know, even if they came to a guilty verdict, there had to be a 24-hour period of fasting before they carried anything out. As a matter of fact, there's something else that if there was a unanimous decision, the person was acquitted because there had to be at least two people or more in the Sanhedrin to say that, hey, you know what? He's not guilty or not guilty or also would be seen as non-merciful. So a unanimous decision almost showed ill intent. It's interesting. One other thing to note, if a prisoner was on their way to be executed, that if someone said, or if two or three people, three people legally, sometimes four or five before they would do anything, if four or five people would scream out, hey, I know why, I know a reason why that person shouldn't be executed, they would stop and go back and start again. So you see the intent of the religious leaders, what they want to do. They made up their minds, but now they want it to be validated in a way so that, you know, it can work for them. They've already had, you know, they're so legalistic except for when it comes to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They're so legalistic, except for when it comes to Jesus. They're willing to go around the rules and try to dot T's and cross I's. They're they're so legalistic, but they'll find any way in the letter of the law so that they can make it work. I think about this. This is like us sometimes, isn't it, though? You know, we get so, I get so upset sometimes at reading about the religious leaders and then Jesus convicts me and I get convicted and God says, you know what, this is you too. You know, sometimes we're, we're, you know, we gossip about people and we're, you know, we're talking about someone or someone's situation and we say, oh yeah, by the way, I only tell you that so you can pray. And it's like, okay, you know, we find a way to dot our I's and cross our T's. The religious leaders are finding a way to dot their I's and cross their T's. Um, for this, but they've already made up their minds. I want you to turn for a second to Matthew chapter 27 because something else is unfolding and I want to try to do this for you in chronological order. So if you want to leave Mark 15 and turn to Matthew 27, 3, because last week you talked about Judas. And in Matthew 27, 3, verses 3 through 5, I want to read this because at this time Judas is starting to feel remorse. It says, when Judas who had betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned, He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. See, it's right around this time that Jesus is about to head to Pilate that Judas fills that remorse. And the religious, religious, excuse me, religious leaders say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility, basically. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. And it says he hanged himself and hanging himself. I guess eventually the, the rope breaks, the bow breaks, and his entrails are spilled all over the rocks. But that's, that's Judas's, you know, plight for what's happening. And this is right around the same time. And we're getting to the part where they bring Jesus to Pilate. So now it's almost about 5 a.m., and they bring Jesus to Pilate, and Jesus is there. And we see, this is the first time we see Jesus before Pilate. Now, if you don't know Pilate, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Um, Pilate, this is not the author of, like, Pilates. This is not, like, the founder of Pilates. This doesn't have anything to do with that. Actually, it was interesting because the founder of Pilates actually claimed, I was looking at this and researching it, he claimed that he was related to Pilate. Um, which is never found it, but I just thought that was really interesting. Um, don't really know if it's true, but I guess that was what he decided to say. Um, so not the inventor of the workout program, but we're getting to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is someone who's from Spain, has come up 
in the Roman ranks. They said he was tough. He was really mean. He was a mean commander. Um, he was a mean person as far as, you know, being very, very cruel. And Pilate has come up through the ranks, and now he's before Jesus. And I want to say something. This is not Jesus before Pilate. This is not Jesus, Savior of the world, creator of the world, before Pilate. This is Pilate before Jesus. Okay, let's get that straight. This is not Jesus, creator, Savior, almighty, all-powerful, before little Pontius Pilate. Jesus is going to flip this. Jesus is going to make Pilate make a decision. This is Pilate before Jesus. So Pilate has come up in the ranks, and he's gotten to this point, but he's only really ruling over the Jews because he wants to move up in the ranks. He has the title of prefect. He's moved from tribune to prefect, and now he's here. He doesn't really live near. He lives about 60 miles away, but he's here during this time because it's Passover, and there's a lot going on. You think about everything that's happened since Monday, we're now Thursday night into Friday. And everything that's happened, he's there. And he wants to make sure that there's security. He wants to make sure that there's stability and that there's no tension. His main job is security and stability. And so he's finally in Pilate's judgment hall. And I want you to turn over. We're going to jump to a lot of the different gospels because a lot of the gospels give us a lot of these accounts together. So turn over to John chapter 18 and we're going to look at verse 28 because that gives us a little more detail about what is happening um, as he gets there in this moment so John 18 28 and we're going to pick up there and it's funny because the religious leaders don't want to go into an unclean area look at John 18 start in verse 28 the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them. I'm sure he loved that early in the morning, waking Pilate up, coming out to meet them with, you know, a lot going on. I'm sure Pilate was thrilled, okay? Pilate came out to meet them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? See, I think this is hilarious because they're like, hey, we want to execute the son of God, but we don't want to step in the building. We don't want to step in the Gentile building. We don't want to step in the Gentile hall because we don't want to be unclean for Passover, but we also want to kill the son of God. That's how compartmentalized this is in the religious leader's mind. That's how compartmentalized we're at. And so they come to Pilate, but guys, they don't want Pilate to be a judge. They don't want him to really talk to Jesus. They don't want him to listen to Jesus. They want an executioner. Hey, they just want him to say, yep, you guys are good. Go out and kill Jesus. That's what they want. They, don't, they really don't want someone to listen. They really don't want someone to weigh these grievances. They want someone to say, you're validated, go and kill Jesus. And Pilate is thrown into the middle of this drama. And Pilate gets it. If you look back in Mark, it says Pilate knows that he brought them there because of envy. So Pilate understands why they are there. He knows that they weren't able to put anyone to death. And so Pilate starts to come and question Jesus. Look at verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Verse 30, if he were a criminal... They replied, we would not have handed him over to you. So it's almost like, you know, get with the program, Pilate. Verse 31, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But look at verse 32. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. 
So it's almost like they get this shift back. Well, wait a minute. We don't want to kill anyone, Pilate. That's you guys. We just want to bring Jesus to you. You can see how hypocritical this whole scene is. Verse 33, Pilate went back inside in the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, aren't you king of the Jews? Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you? Verse 35, am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It's kind of like, I don't know. These are your people. You know, why are you questioning me? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. By now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Verse 38, we talked about it. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there, said, I find no basis for charge against him. See, it's interesting as Pilate questions him. They have brought all these charges to him. They said, well, these charges, he's perverting the nation. He's refusing to pay taxes. You know, blasphemy. All those things would have been thrown out. Rome would have laughed them out. But there's one one that will get Pilate to really question him, and this is this. He's claiming to be king. Now, if he claims to be king, no one can be king except for the authority given by Rome. And so if he claims to be king, if there's an insurrection coming, then that one will get Pilate to actually really question. That's the only reason Pilate really questions him, because he says, you know, are you king of the Jews? That one will get it, because that one, if that's what Jesus was planning, we know he wasn't planning for an earthly kingdom. But if he was, that one will be treason. And so he's getting at Jesus for this one, but he says, I find no fault in him. He says, he's not even talking about an earthly kingdom. He's talking about a heavenly kingdom. You know, he's saying, maybe he's a little weird. I don't know what kingdom he's talking about, but he's not talking about this one. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Go back to Mark's gospel with me. Mark 15, verse 3. It's at this time, it says, the chief priest accused him of many things. So all of a sudden, they started to question him harshly and harshly, and Jesus said nothing. Jesus doesn't answer. It says, Pilate was amazed. The, the Greek word is thamazo. It says he was amazed. There was wonder that Jesus didn't say and answer. Accusations fly at this point. Accusations fly, and Jesus didn't answer. And then all of a sudden, the drama thickens, because Jesus is going to go from Pilate to someone else. So in the middle of all these accusations flying, Pilate hears that he's from Galilee. And Pilate says, wait a minute, this is my chance. He's from Galilee. This is my chance to get this off my hands. Because I know someone who else is here because of Passover. His name is Herod Antipas. And he administrates Galilee. And maybe I can send Jesus over there. Now, if you're not familiar with Herod Antipas, go back to Mark chapter 6. We've seen him before. This is the Herod who had an incestuous, adulterous relationship. Remember that. And it was the one that John the Baptist confronted. And we know how that ended. Okay? Ended with John the Baptist getting his head chopped off, put on a platter, given to the wife. And this is the Herod that ever since Jesus has been on the scene, has been wondering, is this John the Baptist resurrected? I don't know if he's having like night tremors or he's giving him the heebie-jeebies or wait a minute, I don't know, wait a minute. 
John the Baptist is back. What's going on? But this is that Herod Antipas is the one Herod um, or is the one Pilate is going to send Jesus to for more questioning. So turn over to Luke chapter 23. Because we're going to see some of the questioning in Luke chapter 23. It actually said Herod was excited to see him because he wanted to see some of signs and wonders. So in Luke 23, verse 8, we see him go from Pilate to Herod. Pilate wants to get rid of him. Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. Because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign or some sort, of some sort. He replied with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had become enemies. They had been enemies over something. But Pilate sends him to Herod. He questioned him. Jesus says nothing. The religious, the religious leaders follow Jesus there. And they continue to call out accusations. Jesus says nothing. And they get to the point where Herod says, man, I thought this guy was going to be something special. You sent him to me. This Jesus you sent to me is a joke. I'm going to have my men mock him. I'm going to have my men put a robe on him. Now, we think about some of the robes that were put on Jesus, but sometimes we forget this one, that Herod put a dazzling, it says a dazzling, almost bright white robe on Jesus, and they mocked him. They bound him, and they mocked him all the way back to Pilate. These places are pretty close. So if you're saying, man, how could Jesus jump around to all these different places? Well, they're pretty close together, but we're talking about now it's like 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. We're getting to the next part of the morning, and they're sending him back to Pilate after this. And all the way back, he's mocked with this robe. They're saying, this guy does no signs and wonders. He's not even answering anything. Let's just mock him. And all the way back, he's mocked and accused, and Jesus says nothing. Led Jehovah God through the streets bound, accusation after accusation, mocked and jeered, and Jesus says nothing. You know, this week, I don't know if you guys ever deal with um, difficult people. I have the privilege of dealing with parents because I'm at the school, and normally most of the parents that I'm at the school at are wonderful. They're great people, okay? Um, please don't be like, Mr. Mayo said all the parents, don't say that. Um, because they're great. But every once in a while, you deal with difficult people. And this week, I dealt with a really, really difficult person. And they were just yelling from the beginning of the phone call. You ever had a phone call like that? You ever deal with someone like that? They were just yelling from the beginning of the phone call. And I felt needlessly we couldn't help them. I felt like we exhausted everything we could do to help their situation. And they just yelled and berated from beginning to end. Almost things that had nothing to do with this situation. And there was everything in me at that time that I just wanted to do something. And I'm trying to hold my patience. And I really wanted to say, you know what? Let me tell you something. Um, and I didn't. But And I'm almost like doing breathing exercises. I'm like, all right, Lord, you can help me get through this. You know, I was studying this past week. I'm like, oh, Lord, if you did it, I can do it. Um, and this is only one parent, and I'm like looking for stress balls. But, you know, it's like you think about Jesus. Jesus in that moment said nothing. He said nothing for us. You know, he said nothing for us. It wasn't the rope that held Jesus bound. It was his love. As he walked through the streets, it wasn't the rope that held Jesus bound. It was his love. It was his love for us. It was his love for you. 
It was his love for me. If Jesus could have ripped the ropes, if Samson ripped the ropes, Jesus could have ripped the ropes. At any moment in this drama, he could have called down angels. He could have wiped everyone out. Justly. Justly. But he stayed bound and he stayed quiet. And I think it was his love for us that kept him at this point. And so he goes back to Pilate. And Pilate's faced with this decision. We'll go back to Mark. And Mark 15, 6 says, Now there was a custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas, in prison where the insurrectionists had committed murder in the uprising. So this is a custom that in Roman law happened, and especially in places where they felt it would aid the rule of other groups of people, that they would release a prisoner at a key religious or key festival type of time for the group of people that they were ruling. And this also helped do things like keep the peace. And Pilate felt, well, you know what? Man, I couldn't get rid of him. Now he's back. This Jesus, like a bad penny, keeps turning up. You know, now he's back. What am I going to do? And he felt like he was on pretty safe ground. I mean, think about Monday for a second. Monday, Jesus comes in, you know. He's hailed king of the Jews, okay? Even go back, I think, Palm Sunday into Monday, Tuesday, and you're going through this, and you're like, I think I'm on pretty safe ground. I think if I decide to release a prisoner, they're going to pick this one. Pilate actually even suggests that. He's thinking, okay, the religious leaders have ill intent in mind. They've made up their mind, but you know what? We're going to go to the people, we're going to give the people a chance to make a decision here. I'm done with these religious leaders. I'm done with the Sanhedrin. We're going to give the people a chance to make a decision. Will it be Jesus, son of the father, Jesus Barabbas? Or will we decide on Jesus, son of the father, Jesus Christ, son of God? Barabbas is a robber. He's a revolutionary. He's a rebellion. He leads rebellions. He's a, um, someone who, in the insurrection, actually killed people. He is a documented, bona fide murderer. Pilate thinks, I know how I can make this turn out, and I don't have to make a decision. But Jesus is constantly putting it back on him. And it's in the middle of this where he offers the people this opportunity that something else happens so you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, because in the middle of this drama, it thickens. Verse 19 in Matthew chapter 27, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed if you look in the greek it says distance yourself from him don't have any problems with him don't have any ill dealings with him she says because i've suffered a lot leave this innocent man alone even the message from his wife that Pilate is getting in the midst of this whole drama points to the fact that Pilate should be the one to make the decision to let jesus go so you have a bona fide murderer and someone from Pilate's side who keeps coming up innocent, innocent. We have no charges. Even when Herod sent him back, there were no charges leveled against him. Herod just sent him back. So we put a robe on him. We'll mock him. But there's no charges against this man called Jesus. Pilate's wife is named Claudia. It's almost like 
can hear her saying, honey, don't let there be any problems between you and this man. Let this man go. So you have a decision to make. And Pilate says, which one do you want me to release for you? Do you want me to release Barabbas, guilty and deserving death? Or do you want me to release Jesus, who Pilate says really has no guilt worthy of death? I want to read something to you. Um, We're not going to turn there, but in Luke's gospel, it says this. He emphasizes the word release. I want to read this. In verse 16, Pilate first declares that he intends to release Jesus. In verse 17, the people respond, away with Jesus and release to us Barabbas. In verse 20, Pilate again expresses his intention to release Jesus. In verse 22, Pilate says he plans to release Jesus. In verse 25, Luke tells us that Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will. The people are pleased to get Barabbas. And as you look at this, verse 9 in Mark chapter 15, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews as Pilate? Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So the people are pleased to exchange Jesus for Barabbas. And that word exchange is interesting to me. So we all are here at the exchange church. And I don't know if you read, I'm a reader, so I don't come here all the time. And I walked in, it says exchanging sin for salvation. Think about that, exchanging sin for salvation. And as much as we can say, how could they not pick Barabbas? As much as we can say, this Barabbas, a clear murderer, man, this is the guy. This is your guy. How could you not pick him? We are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. And we, just like Barabbas received that exchange that he had no business receiving, we received an exchange that we had no business receiving. We exchanged sin for salvation. And I thought about this, the exchange church. No greater time can we see the exchange. You know, we're just like Barabbas. We're criminals. We're guilty of sin. We've broken law after law of God's law. And God says, you know what? I'm pleased to offer you salvation instead of what you should get, which is death. In Luke 23, 18, it says this, away with this man and release Barabbas. Let the guilty live, kill the sinless one. I want to remind us of something. This is Passover. This is a drama that You can't believe what happened at Passover. At Passover, the time when you're coming to celebrate what God did for his people in Egypt, when you're coming to worship him, it's the high point of worship for the Jews, and this is what's playing out at Passover. The murder of the Son of God. This is what's playing out, and you see the religious leaders and their intent and intent and intent on killing Jesus. And you see the way Jesus responds. Um, in Isaiah 53, we talked about Jesus is quiet. In Isaiah 53, it says, like a lamb before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, you think about that? Jesus opened not his mouth. When he was scourged, if you look at Mark chapter 15, verses 15, 
After he says, wanting to satisfy the crowds, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had f Jesus flogged and then handed over him over to be crucified. Other versions say scourged. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, the way Romans would scourge someone. They would take whips, but these whips sometimes had metal in them. They would sometimes have bone in them. And not only would they whip, but then they would stick in and they would rip out on purpose. They would wait till it got in and then they would rip it out. So hopefully it pulled flesh off the bone. That was what they wanted to do. And it was a Roman custom that as someone was scourged over and over again, especially in the beginning, if they gave up names, then they would start to go easy on that person. You know, I think Pilate maybe even hoped, man, if we start to scourge him first and they see the pain this man is going through, maybe they'll stop. Maybe they'll say, hey, you know what? That's enough. One more chance that Pilate wants to push the decision back on someone else that Jesus is pushing on him. Think about how many times Jesus and Pilate looked each other in the eyes and questioning. And how many times Pilate had to consciously make a decision that I'm going to try to push this off on someone else. Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't give up a name. He didn't give up your name. He didn't give up my name. He could have, though, because it's really our sin that he took during this time. But Isaiah 53, 7 says Jesus was silent. You know, I think about this and think about Pilate and what he tried to keep. See, he was on his way to the top. By the way, Pilate was about to go to the Senate. That was the next step after prefect. If he could just keep his position, he could just keep his power. Think about what Pilate had. He had wealth. He had power. He had influence. Think about what people go after today. They want affluence. They want glory. They want fame. Pilate tried to keep all those things. And I can say today that anything you try to keep in place of Jesus, you'll never keep. Anything you trade away for Jesus, you'll never keep. Think about Judas. He traded away 30 pieces of silver. He didn't keep that. He didn't keep any other power or influence he was hoping to get. Anything you trade away for Jesus, you'll never keep. And Pilate tries to keep his power, his influence, his position. He doesn't keep it. Just a note on Pilate as we finish this in a little bit. Um, so Pilate is on his way to Rome when Tiberius dies, the one who's the leading Caesar who knows him. Another Caesar named Caligula, if you're familiar with Roman history, becomes a Caesar. And Caligula doesn't know Pilate. And Caligula banishes Pilate to a place called Gaul where Pilate struggles. And in a few years, Pilate, just like Judas, commits suicide but I would contend today as we're here this morning talking about this that I think Pilate died a long time before that I think Pilate died when he decided to make a decision to crucify an innocent man you know Pilate thought he was going to wash his hands of the question that we started with today Pilate thought he could kind of wash his hands of that idea of what am I going to do with Jesus if you read the Apostles Creed and you go through it, and I think even today probably in some churches, some denominations, they may be reading the Apostles' Creed right now as we speak. In the Apostles' Creed, it says, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So someone who wanted to get rid of the question, who wanted to dodge the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Who wanted to say, he actually called for the water, the basin. Hey, I'm going to wash my hands of this. I'm going to wash my hands of Jesus. It's on you guys. It's on you. I don't want to be associated with it. I'm not a part of it. I'm not out of it. 
But the question was, who is really on trial in this whole drama? Who's really on trial? If we're looking at who's really on trial, it's not Jesus. It's Annas. It's Caiaphas. It's the Sanhedrin. It's Herod. It's Pilate. And I think Pilate made one fatal mistake, and that's this, that you can't wash your hands of Jesus. You can't wash your hands of Jesus. See, in Galatians 2.20, it says, for I'm crucified with Christ. Paul writes, I'm crucified with Christ. At the end of that verse, it says he gave himself for me. If you look deeper into the text of that verse, it says that phrase gave himself for me really means gave himself instead of me. See, Jesus Christ put himself in our place. And if you think about Philippians 2, which I'm going to have you turn to in a minute, he didn't just put himself in our place. He didn't just die for us. Think about this point. Jesus Christ didn't just die for us. Jesus Christ died as us. He didn't just die for us. He died as us. From a king who rules it all. With a word he speaks and things appear into existence to become like man, live like man, go through what he went through and die as us, as a human. It's the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate example of humility. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 for a second. I just want to read this for you. Philippians chapter 2. It is marked in my Bible and in many different Bibles that I have. It's probably, Philippians probably my favorite book. Um, And chapter 2, maybe one of the favorite chapters in that book. But Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, says this. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not Jesus on trial. Pilate's on trial. Pilate was the one. Jesus was never nervous. Jesus was never afraid. He answered all legitimate questions that were given to him. It's Pilate's the one who is nervous. It's Pilate's the one who is uncomfortable. It's Pilate who is the one who is afraid. And we think about this in our own lives. What are we going to do with Jesus? See, when you accept forgiveness, you accept life instead of choosing death. When you accept Jesus, you accept life. When you accept that exchange, there's an exchange of sin for salvation. It's not about rules. It's not about a religious system. Josiah is not here today, but I'm confident I could say this to you today that it's not about exchange church. It's not about any one person. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, who took your sin, who took my sin. He went to the cross. He willingly bore everything for you and for me. There's no greater exchange in that and if you're here and you're hearing this for the first time and you're in your mind saying you know what I don't think I've ever made a decision about Jesus I would say don't leave today before you decide to accept him don't leave today before you say you know what I need to get this right I need to make a decision about what am I going to do with Jesus
See, the Spirit, for those of us who are Christians, this is a great challenge because the Spirit is always prompting us. It's pushing us in those areas where we compromise because we, you know, we're under grace and we're under this dispensation of grace. And so, you know, we think there's just things we can get away with. And the Spirit is always compromise or um, compelling us, excuse me, to say, you know, hey, what are you going to do with that area? You know what, you're following, but what about this area you haven't given to me yet? You know, if you're answering that question, you know, what are you going to do with Jesus? And Jesus is saying, are you going to give me everything? Are you just giving me a little bit? What about this part over here? What about this area of your life? And he was always prompting us. But if you're here today and you've never made a decision about Jesus, I want to say, don't leave this room. Don't go out today before you find someone to pray with, before you find someone who's going to talk to you about the creator of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to read these last couple of verses and we're going to finish. Verse 16 in Mark chapter 15, the soldiers led Jesus away into the place that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him to crucify him. What are you going to do with Jesus? It's not Jesus who's on trial. It's Pilate who's on trial. It's Jesus, the righteous judge, who judges us all, but willingly sacrificed, willingly took that humility, willingly suffered and didn't say anything, and went to the cross. And you see an innocent man going to the cross. And I just want to say that um, before we close, before I pray, and before we sing, and we're going to sing another song before everyone goes, but if you're here, and you're hearing this, you're hearing my voice, and you say, hey, you know what? I've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ. Or this is the first time I ever heard about this, and I want to know more about Jesus. There will be those of us up here who would love to pray with you. Someone is glad to pray with you today because we just want to introduce you to the Savior. And since my mic, I was going to say, since my mic went off, someone's telling me, it's definitely time. Um, Sometimes we preach so long, we're so passionate, we don't know when to stop. Make a decision about Jesus this morning. Don't let it go without answering that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you because, um, God, you see us in our sin. Lord, we're like the religious leaders. We're like Barabbas. We're like those who are guilty. We're guilty as charged. But Lord, even as this whole scene unfolded, God, you went to the cross willingly. You were mocked. You were spit at. You were beaten. You were jeered. All kinds of evil that happened to you. And you had our sin on you and you had us in mind. You didn't give up our names. And Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for you. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we easily forget, Lord, how much you gave up. So, God, as we sing this last song, Lord, help us to remember that. Lord, help us to be thankful for everything that you endured. Help us to be thankful for you going to the cross. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. Sometimes we struggle. 
But God, help us to seek you more. Help us to love you more. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, help them not to walk out this door before they come up and pray with someone who will help them introduce them to you. It's the greatest thing they could ever do. Greatest decision they could ever make. We thank you, God, and we praise you. And we worship you in your name. Amen.